So we'll look at three things very quickly. I'm just going to plow through this message oh so fast. We're going to look at one, giving thanks is beneficial. And that point is not going to be profoundly Christian at all. Two, developing a habit of thanks. And three, not giving thanks is dangerous. One, giving thanks is beneficial. Two, developing a habit of thanks. And three, not giving thanks is dangerous. So let's first look at giving thanks is beneficial. In a Harvard Business Review article called Be Grateful More Often, Francisca Gino writes this. Listen, counting our blessings doesn't just cheer us up. It can also improve our health and well-being. In a series of well-known studies, psychologists Robert Emmons and Michael McCullough asked participants to keep weekly journals for 10 weeks. Some were asked to write about five things or people they were grateful for each week. Some of them were asked to write about five hassles that they experienced during the week. And a third group was asked to write about any five events that occurred during the week. So, once a week, for ten weeks, three different groups journaled five things. One, what they were thankful for, another group, five hassles, and another five of any five events. What happened? Participants asked to list the hassles included the following. Hard to find parking, spending their money too quickly, and burned macaroni and cheese. Those who listed blessings mentioned experiences such as generosity of their friends, learning something interesting, and seeing the sunset through the clouds. Those in this gratitude group, listen to this, scored higher on measures of positive emotions and of self-reported symptoms of their physical and mental health. And they also felt more connected to others as compared to those who made routine notes about their days or wrote about hassles. So they saw high measures of positive emotions and self-reported physical and mental health improvements, and they felt more connected to others. Just from what? From journaling five things they were thankful for once a week for 10 weeks. Hmm. Interesting. In the New York Times Magazine, Christina Jarrett wrote an article called How Expressing Gratitude Might Change Your Brain. So now we're talking neuroscience. Let me read a short piece of that article. Time and again, studies have shown that performing simple gratitude exercises, like keeping a gratitude diary or writing letters of thanks, can bring a range of benefits such as feelings of increased well-being, reduced depression, and they often linger well after the exercises are finished. Now, a brain-scanning study in neuroimage brings us a little closer to understanding why these exercises have these effects. The results suggest that even months after a simple, short gratitude writing task, people's brains are still wired to feel extra thankful. The implication is that gratitude tasks work, at least in part, because they have a self-perpetuating nature. The more you practice gratitude, 
the more attuned you are to it, and the more you can enjoy its psychological benefits. It's been said that being thankful is like a muscle in your brain that you can exercise. There's like a thankfulness muscle inside of your brain that you can literally work on, and it grows and strengthens. In fact, later in the article, we read this. You can even think of your brain as having a sort of gratitude muscle that can be exercised and strengthened. Not so different from various other qualities that can be cultivated through practice, of course. If this is right, the more of an effort you make to feel gratitude one day, the more the feeling will come to you spontaneously in the future. Hmm. That's interesting. So these non-Christian psychologists and scientists and business writers are saying that as we are thankful and we show gratitude and practice gratitude, our mental health increases, our depression decreases, we are more positive, we have more connection with other people. And I didn't even mention some of the other articles that I found about um, when your gratitude is passed on to someone else, that person is more responsive to you in the future. Kind of like a, a this will benefit me kind of thing, which is kind of why I left it out. But friends, the world is onto something. And I, I say the world in quotes. Yeah. But we as Christians should not be surprised, should we? We may not have the brain science and the neurological studies to back up what's in the Bible, but the Bible tells us clearly about being thankful in many, many, many places. So I want to look at point two now, developing habits of thanksgiving. Developing habits of thanksgiving. One major point we need to consider is that we don't give thanks in general, okay? We don't give thanks in general, like, I'm thankful. To who? And for what? We as Christians need to take our gratitude or our thankfulness where? Up to God himself. So if I thank God for something that Gino did for me, that's appropriate. And God, thank you for what you did through Gino. And it's appropriate for me to thank him as well. But we want always our thanks to go up. Because listen, whatever God does, God does normally and normatively through other people, doesn't he? Very rarely does a, uh, you know, your bill get paid. All of a sudden you click on your equitable gas account. And you're like, huh, my bill is mysteriously paid. Oh my gosh. No, normally what's going to happen is, a friend is going to say, hey, uh, I know you're hurting. I'd love to cover your gas bill for you. But who was really behind that if you're a Christian? God was blessing you through your friend. You see, we are the means of God's hand moving in the world, friends. So it is appropriate to thank another person for the goodness they've done you, a kindness, whatever. But ultimately, our thanks need to go up, up to God. In fact, in Romans 11, 36, we read, From him, God, through him, God, and to him are who can finish it. All things. All things. So everything is sourced from God. He's the first cause of all things. Everything that is coming through him actively now, as we learn in Hebrews, he is sustaining the universe by the word of his power. And 
They're coming back to him in the form of glory. In fact, that's the end of Romans 11.36. For from him, through him, and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. You see, friends, as we receive quote-unquote blessings, or later as we'll see trials and tribulations and give thanks, where does the glory go? Up to God, which is what God is kind of in it for. He does all things to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glorious grace. What is the chief end of man? What of my Westminster people? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. You see, our chief end is to glorify God. And if you're Piper fans, then you know that you could change one word in the catechism and it rearranges everything. We are to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. And when we are thankful to God, man, it brightens up everything. I want to ask you to consider this. What in your daily life do you most focus on? What are you focusing on when you get up, when you go through your day, when you lay down, what is focus? Focus is a central point as of attraction, attention, or activity. What are you focusing on? So often, we can see in our day-to-day -day experiences all that's wrong, all that's dark, all that's not going well. It's so easy to see those things, isn't it? Is it just me? Like, if you came to me and said, Chris, Make a list of 50 things wrong with your life, your house, your church, your car, etc. I would have no problem getting that list to you very quickly. Because I see them so readily. They're like in front of my face all the time. Everything is wrong. It's so easy to see. Do we really have to look? Like you look in the mirror, and what do you see? Everything that's right? No. You see everything that's wrong. Why? You don't see two eyes that are working. You don't see two ears that are hearing. You don't see a, a, a nose that is smelling and a tongue that's tasting. And man, all these good blessings. You're like, man, I'm a wreck. Dad, I'm getting old. I need some cream in front of my eyes. What is going on? And all this, all this wrong is just so easy to see. Am I right or am I wrong? Right. Okay, that's what I thought. So let's say you invited 20 people to an event. You're having this event. It's a party. It's a gathering. You invited 20 people. But only 17 people show up. And now, you're so upset about the three that didn't show up, you're now not even enjoying the 17. Your focus is where? On what's wrong. Why didn't these three people come? But they, don't they like me? Did they have something better to do? Like, and, and all of a sudden, you're complaining to the 17 that are there about the three that aren't, and you're ruining the evening. Why? Because what are you focusing on? Not the 17 who showed up to enjoy the event, the gathering. You're focusing on the three. Is it only me? Okay. So, in a recent interview I just listened to with a guy named Tim O'Reilly, he's the Silicon Valley, Valley's leading intellectual. Tim O'Reilly. Um, he has a new book coming out called WTF. It doesn't stand for what you think it stands for. It's what's the future? Dirty minds. 
What's the future? Okay? And it's up to us. He was asked this. How do you keep the darkness of the world and the problems in the world from bringing you down? His answer was this. I thought it was so intriguing. He quoted Mr. Rogers, the famed child, brilliant giant. And he said this. Mr. Rogers tells children, children, when you see something bad happen in the world, always look for the people who are trying to help. That's pretty profound. You see, what's your focus? When something goes really bad in the world, do we hone in on the darkness itself? Or can we divert our attention to see, man, who's here trying to help? Where's the light? Who is God sending in as beacons of light, even if they're not Christians? It's his common grace. If any goodness comes to us by way of non-Christians, you know that's called common grace, right? It's God's grace through the agent of an unbeliever. It's common in that all get to receive it. Grace is a gift from God. Now, we can thank God for any goodness in the world, whether it's sourced in a Christian or not. If it's a Christian, it's God's grace flowing through a Christian. If it's not a Christian, it's God's grace flowing through a non-Christian. It's called common grace. Theologians have been on this for centuries. We can literally give thanks for anything good that we see happening in the world, even goodness in response to some crisis or tragedy. The question is, where will we focus? Where will we focus? Now, what will you focus on in the fog and mist of living in this fallen world? That's the question I want you to ask. If the world is misty, it's foggy, it's easy to see all this wrong, what are you going to focus on? And will you seek to be thankful? So this message here is going to help you to divert your attention from all that's wrong, all that's bad, all that's dark, and now we're going to see in the scriptures that we are commanded multiple times to be thankful and to give thanks. And we already know from neuroscience and psychological geniuses what beneficial effects that has. But God doesn't always often tell us the why he tells us to do something, but you can trust God that he's good and that if he tells you to do something, it's probably good for you. Right? And you can probably trust God's character that if he says don't do that, it's probably going to go good for you if you don't do that. Even though everything in you might be raging to do that, he has some good for you in barring it. And if he gives you an exercise to do something that may be hard to do and difficult and sacrificial, there's probably some really good thing behind it, even though he hasn't told you the why of the command. Okay, so Paul, our apostle, our favorite apostle, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, we read this. Before I read this, you need to know that this is Paul's last paragraph to the Thessalonians as he writes his first letter. And he is in rapid fire command mode. Do this, don't do this, remember this. And so here we just pick up on a few verses. Rejoice always, that's a command. Pray without ceasing, that's a command. Give thanks in some circumstances, only the positive circumstances, only the circumstances that go well for you. No, give thanks in all 
circumstances. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. So that means that part of God's will for you, now keep in mind, the rest, if I posted the rest of the, the verse here, all this is God's will too. But giving thanks in all circumstances is the will of God. So we, we don't have to do this weird game that we do and say, God, what's your will? When we ask that, I think God will just point his finger to text like this and say, I told you what my will is. Give thanks. When? In all circumstances. That means even ones that are horrific and bad and terrible. All. It's an unqualified all. And how do we do that? Well, maybe Mr. Rogers has something for us. Maybe we can look at who is God sending in to help? Where is the light in this dark place? Maybe we could say, okay, God, as Charles Spurgeon famously said, when we can't see his hand, we do know his heart. If we know the heart of God, and we know that he's in control, and we know that he has good purposes, and we know that he's told us that he is working all things, unqualified all, for the good of those who love him. And these are texts we can bring to mind when all is bad and all is dark. So we're told, give thanks in all circumstances. Now, Paul is not one to give a command and not live it out himself. A lot of preachers and teachers like to do that. They like to do this, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this, do this. But they don't live it themselves. Paul's not that dude. Especially when it comes to giving thanks. So I want to run real quick through seven of his 13 letters, just the very first introduction, and listen to this, this is amazing. Paul searched to give thanks. Like, I'm convinced that Paul was always on the lookout for anything to be thankful for. And it's reflected in this command here, give thanks in all circumstances. Listen to this, Romans 1, 8. First, I thank my God through Christ Jesus for all of you because, and he named the because. 1 Corinthians 1, 4, I give thanks to my God always for you because. Philippians 1, 3 to 5, I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always, in every prayer of mine for you, all, making my prayer with joy because, and he lives for First Corinthians, I'm sorry, Colossians 1, 3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Dot, dot, dot. First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.3 We give thanks to God always for you. For all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God the Father your work of... Dot, dot, dot. Second Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.2 We ought, not is a should, must. We ought always... To give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because... Dot, dot, dot. 2 Timothy 1.3 I thank my God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. Philemon 4 and 5 I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because... So, listen, if Paul's not lying, this dude is on a thankful mission. 
Notice he said to multiple churches, I am always thanking God for you in all my prayers. And we get this idea that he's always praying and he's always giving thanks when he's praying. Which means what? So let's look behind that. How is he doing that? That means he is actively and diligently searching for things to be thankful for, isn't he? Because if it's so easy to see all that's wrong, notice one of the churches was the, was the Corinthian church. And the whole church is a mess. The messiest church of all the churches of Paul's was the Corinthian church. And yet he says, I thank my God for all of you. How, Paul? Well, he's looking. He's searching for something to be thankful for. Will you and will I be that type of person? Like, will you put the effort and the work in to search out things to thank God for? God's commands are always, listen, God's commands are always for your joy, and they're never to decrease your joy. Do you believe that? They're always for your joy, and they're never to decrease your joy. So this 18, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That's for your joy. This is a command for your joy to increase and rise and grow. And for you to be a thankful person. Let's look at some more verses. This is one of the most famous verses in the Bible. Many of you have it memorized, but maybe some of you don't. Philippians 4, 6-7. Do not be anxious about anything. You know what anxiety is? Anxiety is looking into the future, being afraid of it, and that fear coming into the present and causing you to kind of freak out and be panicked. And the future could be 10 minutes from now. Like, you're anxious, you're, you're worried, you're... Ugh. But Paul is saying, don't be anxious about anything. How do we combat that? Well, he tells us, in everything, by prayer and supplication, that's a form of praying for someone else, with thanksgiving. So we pray and we thank God in our prayers just like we heard Paul doing to all these churches as he writes to them. And he says, in those prayers, let your request be made known to God. Tell him what's going on. It could be simply, Lord, you know. I pray that prayer a lot. Lord, you know. You know about this. I don't have to tell you. You know how it upsets me. You know how this is really weighing on me. Oh, Lord, would you take it? I remind God that he told me through Jesus in his word that Jesus' burden is light and his yoke is easy. I remind myself of that. And I say, Lord, take the burden off. You know how heavy it is. Instead of being anxious and worried and carrying things that I shouldn't be carrying, Lord, you know, help. Please, help me. What am I doing? I'm praying. God, thank you that I can come to you in prayer and, and release these things to you. And what will happen as a response? As we practice this, now listen, this is not going to happen the instant you pray. It may. It may. But this is a practiced rhythm that as you do this, as you're anxious, you pray and you supplicate and you give thanks and you let your request be made known. And the response of God is that the peace of God which surpasses understanding, which means it's experiential, not just knowledge-based. It will guard your heart, that's the center of your being, and it will guard your mind. 
in Christ Jesus. Now, now that's a fantastic verse, guys. So that as we pray and as we're thankful in our prayers, we can say, God, would you bring the peace that you promised that is experiential? I need to experience your peace in this moment now because I have no peace. I am all the rage inside, and I need your peace. <clears throat> and remember, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. So when the Holy Spirit comes upon someone, we don't have crazy manifestations. We have love. We have joy. We have peace. When, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you in massive power, you know what you look like? You're not flailing around on the floor like a fish foaming at the mouth with your eyes in the back of your head speaking in tongues. You're a patient person. So when you're in traffic and you've got to be somewhere and every light is hitting red and the light is going an extra three minutes and now it's 20 minutes in. Ah, I late. You know what the Holy Spirit coming upon you in that moment would look like? Alright God, you're in control. And all of a sudden, your whole inside just go. And you relax. You went, whoa, God is here. Because that's not natural, is it? What's natural is for you to pound the horn and punch the, the airbag. Hopefully it doesn't go smack you in the face. That's a natural response. What about Colossians? We just went through this text. Familiar. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. There's a theme. There's a theme happening here. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. So the peace of Christ ruling in your hearts, and we as a, the body of Christ are called to peace with one another and internal peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's the gospel and all of the word through the lens of the gospel. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with... Come on, this is response time. With? Thankfulness. Thank you. In your hearts to God. So where's the thankfulness happening? It's in your heart. It's internal. You have an attitude of thankfulness towards God as you're singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual song with thankfulness in your heart. See, the peace of God is ruling your heart, and in your heart, you've got this melody happening, this song happening. Why is it that we're only singing and joyful when things are all smooth and going well, and the bills are paid, and the check is coming, and, and then we're singing? But then the very next second, let the child be disobedient. And the singing stops, and the eyes widen, and the blood pressure goes up, and the vein pops out on the neck, and all of a sudden, the Hulk shows up in the kitchen. And it's you. And what happened? Well, the peace of Christ is not ruling your heart anymore, is it? Your flesh is. And listen, we need to pray in those moments when the disobedience comes, when you feel the blood pressure, you don't go into, all right, I'm going to kill you mode. You go into prayer mode. And you pray with thanksgiving. And God help me. I'm going to freak out. God help me. Listen, and, and here's just a little, a little encouragement. Are you playing songs in your home, in your car, in your headphones that are inspiring sin? 
So I'm not saying you can't listen to music that's not Christian. I'm not saying that. But listen, if you have a lust problem and all you listen to is top 40 KISS FM stuff, do you have to wonder why you have a lust problem? Like, Rihanna's not singing about how great God is. She's singing about how great she looks with little arm. And if you love that and you have a lust problem, I don't think you have to wonder why. Friends, I'm not dissing her. She's not a Christian. She's seeking her glory in her beauty. And she's letting you in on that. And are you going to get in on that? I hope not as a Christian. Okay, but listen, if you're listening to music that is inspiring worship and thanksgiving and setting your mind on things above where Christ is seated, friends, these are gifts of practicalness to you to live the Christian life. I mean, this is just God's throwing you an underhanded softball pitch. He's saying, here's, here's a technique. Play scripture-rooted, gospel-centered, good music in your home and in your headphones and let it rule in your heart and bring peace to your body and to your home and to your vehicle and to your life. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. What? Giving thanks to God the Father. I'm sorry, to God the Father through Him. That would be Jesus. So here, in this short text, 15 to 17, we have giving thanks three times. Be thankful in 15. With thanksgiving in 16. And in 17, giving thanks to God the Father. It's just a little short section of Scripture. Like, Paul is helping us here. Give thanks. Give thanks. Give thanks. Now, I recently bought, to help me, a Panda Planner. How many of you have a Panda Planner? None of you have a Panda Planner. I didn't until recently, so I can't shame you. So, this Panda Planner, this is the daily page. And look, this is the main reason I bought it. I kid you not. This little section right here. You're like, you're an idiot. You could have just bought a dollar notebook instead of spending like 25 bucks. But that's true. True. But... It will all be in one place. And if I have this by my bed when I get up in the morning, I will take a few minutes and write out, I am grateful for it. And you know what? I'm going to start searching first thing in the morning rather than seeing everything that's wrong, which is so natural for me. So for me as a commitment, this is what I'm doing. What are you going to do? I'm not saying you got to go buy this. If you Google image this, you can print this. Yeah, maybe illegal. So... <laughs> If that's on you and God, okay, if you do that. I'm going to edit that out too. So listen, slowing down, listen, back, back here. Slowing down for just a few minutes. And reflecting, God, what have you done that is so good to me? And just stopping for a minute, pausing, and actually writing it down. So that you can look back on it and say, wow. And what if you made this an everyday habit? Like jotting down things that God is doing in your life. Friends, God is up to stuff every day, and we're just, we're so blind to it that it just goes... 
like telephones on the on the parkway, telephone poles on the parkway. We just and we don't even stop for a minute. Stop for a minute and reflect. How many of you guys know what it's like to be somewhere that you want it to be, like a park or a, or a festival or something, and you can't even enjoy the moment because you're thinking, we gotta get to dinner. What are you doing? Is that you? You're at the event and you're thinking about the next event. Or you're at the next event and now you're thinking about the next event. We're like, we got to get going. Stop. Slow down. Be present in the moment. And be thankful. Friends, your whole life is going to pass you by. And you're going to be like, what happened? You didn't pause. You didn't reflect. And listen, isn't this prayer anyway? Just stopping, slowing down, and being in God's presence with thankfulness. Last, let's look at the third point quickly. It's not giving thanks is dangerous. Not giving thanks is dangerous. So Romans 1, 23-27, God writing through the Apostle Paul to the church at Rome, Verse 18 of chapter 1 starts out, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And then he begins to tell how the wickedness of men is expressed and how the knowledge of God is suppressed. And God makes himself known in creation. What he has made is invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his, his nature is glorious power as God and, and creator can clearly be seen in the things that have been made. Okay? That's, that's before these verses. And so the knowledge of God is made plain to every single human being who comes into existence. And the logic Paul's using here is everything that God made screams of his glory. But yet because of our desire to not walk in the light and walk in darkness... John 3.19, Jesus said, men love darkness instead of the light, and they will not come into the light for fear their deeds will be exposed. So rather than have their deeds exposed in the light, I'll stay in the dark and hide and keep my sin. That's the natural human state of every human being. And then, so I don't have to be accountable to the true and living God as judge, what I'll do is I'll create my own fabricated God, and I'll be the judge, but yet I'll still worship God so I can have this weird worship thing taken. For although they knew God, that's a clear declaration from Paul that every single person deep down inside knows God. Through creation and chapter 2 through conscience. And we need to remember that. That the issue is not that God can't be known. The issue is that the love of sin is suppressing the clear knowledge that's in front of every human being. Romans chapter 1 and 2. Read them, study them, meditate on them. That's exactly what they're saying. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God, look at this, or give thanks to him. So God's wrath, verse 18, is being revealed from heaven for a number of reasons, but one of them is that people refuse to give thanks to God. Friends, it is dangerous to not be thankful. It's dangerous. Nor give thanks to him. But instead, they became futile in their thinking. Their thinking became all warped and twisted. It was useless. 
and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images, idols, resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. The gods of your own making, instead of worshiping, honoring, glorifying, and thanking the true and living God. See, this verse is saying that God is actually angry that people refuse to give thanks. You say, well, what about the articles you read at the front end? But, but see, they're not saying thank God. They're saying be grateful in general. And be grateful towards other human beings. But remember what we said as Christians, no. We can't let our gratitude and thankfulness just land on others. Or just land generally out into the universe. We don't do what politicians and musicians and movie stars and say, oh, I thank my lucky stars. Or I thank the universe. I've heard that one. No. We thank the true and living God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's who we thank, for He is the source of all things. From Him, through Him, and to Him are all things. And to Him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Last verse, we're going to plow through it quickly. Psalm 57 to 23 is a fantastic verse for you to meditate on. And I'm going to run through it very quickly. we got five minutes left. We're going to do it. Hear, O my people. So are you a Christian? You're his people. This is Old Testament Israel, but if you're his people, this is you. Hear, O my people, and I will speak, O Israel. I will testify against you. Uh Uh-oh. Court setting. Someone is testifying against his people. It's God. I am God. Your God, not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. So the problem is not that the Old Testament Israelites refused to give the offerings that he commanded. I will not accept the bull from your house or goats from your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? So God is now here saying, you do realize that the very animals that you offer to me are mine. Like you're giving to me only of what I've given to you. And do you think I'm like these other pagan gods that are energized by your sacrifices? Do you think I only respond when you sacrifice to me? Remember the prophets of Baal, the 450 of them, cutting themselves and bleeding themselves, trying to get Baal's attention, Baal's attention. See, he's saying all the birds, all the beasts, all the bulls, all the goats, they're all mine. And then, verse 14, offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. So God says, I don't want your animals, I don't want your costly sacrifices, I want you to be thankful. And notice, it's an offering of thanksgiving, a sacrifice. What's a sacrifice? Something dies. There's pain in sacrifice. Remember Romans 12, 1, in view of God's mercy, Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. It's your reasonable act of worship. 
What that means is that our response to God's mercy to us is sacrificial living for Him. Sacrifice means it hurts. Like, if you're a living sacrifice, that means you're constantly getting hurt. You're living and you're taking the blows. It's a sacrifice. It, it's a lessening of you. It's a sacrifice. So this means that a sacrifice of thanksgiving means that God wants us to, in a sense, agonize to be thankful. Like, be disciplined to be thankful. Work at it. It's not going to be easy. And I'm telling you, we need to practice it. It's not going to come natural. It's natural to feel entitled. It's natural to feel like you deserve. It's natural to feel like the center of the universe is you. And it's hard to be grateful and thankful. It really is. Sin makes us ungrateful. Sin makes us hard-hearted and thankless. Keep going. And perform your vows to the Most High. And call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you. And you shall glorify me. There's that glorifying again. 16. But to the wicked, God says, What right have you to recite my statutes or take my covenant on your lips? So now he's talking to hypocritical religious people who would say the Bible and say the right things, yet... They're not living for him and with him. For you hate discipline. So these are the people that are wicked before God, yet they look religious. Look, they're reciting my statutes and they're taking my covenant on your lips. You hate discipline and you cast my words behind you. Remember, Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but fools despise wisdom and Instruction, or one translation says discipline. For you hate discipline, and you cast my words behind you, meaning they're meaningless. I don't care about your words. I don't care about your words. If you see a thief, you are pleased with him. So, so you enter into identity with thieves, meaning you're a thief too. You are pleased with him, and you keep company with adulterers. Adulterers are those who have broken their covenant of marriage, and you're just okay with that, and you're right in with them. You give your mouth free reign for evil. You use your tongue to curse and to slander and to destroy and to lie. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. So you use your words to tear down and to slander. You're so wicked that even your own family members get it. These things you have done, and I have been silent. You thought that I was one like yourself. But now I rebuke you and lay the charge before you. Remember, he's testifying against them in verse 7. He's laying the charges before them in court. Verse 22, mark this then, you who forget God. Listen to this. Lest I tear you apart, and there be none to deliver. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of our God. Now friends, I know I have not been thankful to that degree. 
sacrificial thanksgiving to God. I have not practiced what I am now saying to you I'm going to commit to do. Therefore, this should be about me. God should tear me to pieces. Right? You forget God, lest I tear you apart, and there be none to deliver. Remember in Romans 1, God's angry that people refuse to give thanks. And his response is, I should just tear you apart, and there will be none to deliver you. But friends, you know as Christians, who was torn apart in our place? Jesus lived the most, he's always thanking God in the Gospels. Father, I thank you that you've hidden these things from the wise and prudent and shown them to base. He's always thanking God rightly. And yet, he steps in and is torn apart on the cross. Friends, he stepped in to our thanklessness and took the punishment. Aren't you glad? That God's angry that we're not thankful, yet Jesus said, I'll step into that. I'll take it. There's only one who can deliver. And Jesus said, I'll step into your non-deliverance. Right? And there be none to deliver. The only one who could have delivered Jesus was the very one who tore him apart in our place. Friends, we have so much to be thankful for. If for nothing else, oh my gosh, your sins have been forgiven because of Jesus' life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. You are clean. You are washed. You are not treated as your sins deserve he removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. He takes our shame and guilt upon himself. And then he empowers us with his spirit so that we might be able to be thankful. Aren't you glad? I'm, I'm glad that, man, I, I can freely confess my sin of, man, I have not been thankful, God. I have not lived up to what you demand. Give thanks in all circumstances. I have not been thankful should, and yet Jesus was, and he stepped into my punishment and yours. So friends, this, this Thanksgiving, and not just on Thursday, please, let's seek to make this a regular rhythm of life. Seeking out how we can be thankful. Seeking out ways that we can exercise thankfulness to God, and then would you please practice thanking one another? Take note of good things that people have done for you and make sure you express that to them. And you will get into a habit. And, and as new, this is neuroscience, as new neural pathways are formed in your brain, it will become so natural for you to see things to be thankful for. Just like now, it's so natural for you to see all that's dark and all that's wrong. With practice, it can happen. We can retrain our brains to be thankful people. And by the help of God the Spirit, we can do this. Who's with me? Okay, good. Let's celebrate the Lord's Supper together, and let's be thankful. We're so thankful that we're safe, we're okay. Jesus was torn apart in our place, and we get to go free. We're safe.